rather than an employer being invested in tracking down whether or not you got a flu shot, why not, why not ask that person, hey, in your time here, how can we invest more in your growth and your achievement and your sense of purpose? That would go so much further for somebody's well-being. You know, sometimes self-care does not look at all like going to get a pedicure and looks a lot like cleaning my house when I've made sure that my kids aren't home because that was a lot more um, meaningful to my own personal self-care to be able to get something done that needed to be done, but also do it in a way that gives me a little bit of peace and freedom. Welcome to the Mother Honestly podcast. This is your host, Blessing Adeshio, founder and CEO of Mother Honestly. On this show, we interview ambitious women that are thriving in and beyond motherhood. Expect honest and real conversations that will encourage and inspire you to take actions on your dreams. Hi, I'm Kristen Hall. I am the COO of Mother Honestly, and I am the host of this week's Mother Honestly podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mother Honestly podcast. Happy Friday. Happy winter. Hope you're having a good start to 2020. We're so thrilled to have you on as you are the founder and CEO of Realize Wellbeing. Would love to have you kind of introduce yourself. Tell me a little bit more about Realize Wellbeing, what you're up to, your own kind of personal story, and we'll jump into some kind of topics. Okay. So um, I'm Maggie Goff from Realize Wellbeing, and I am a workplace wellness expert. And it's my job to help workplaces understand how they're either amplifying or diminishing an employee's well-being. And my unique or my approach is a little bit unique in that um, I'm not coming in to manage the employee's health and well-being, which is what a lot of similar companies do. My focus is really on the employer and their role in their employees' lives and whether or not they're making their employees' lives better. That's awesome. Do you find employers to be pretty open to these discussions? I mean, they're, on one hand, I'm sure they're bringing you in potentially a part of a corporate initiative or that. Are they pretty receptive to making these changes or is it hard for them sometimes to hear when they're not necessarily amplifying but diminishing? Uh, both and. So I think that right now employers are really grappling with healthcare costs and then the solutions that they've put into play are not yielding the results that they had wanted. So there's no return on that investment. And it's a significant investment. And then, um, so certainly it's it's difficult for them to hear when they're doing something that's not going well um, or a way that they might be contributing. But I think also most uh, business leadership, is they're good people and they want to know how to do better. And so I think when you appeal to what is inherently good in a human being and their desire for good things for the people around them, then that's when it gets a little bit easier. Very cool. And help me understand, you know, what are some of the basics of workplace wellness that we're seeing either in, um, in the today's market or what we'd like to see even? So the way that workplace wellness got started was really truly because it was meant to be a service to employees, kind of a benefit added where you could get a biometric screening at the workplace or have a lunch and learn about cholesterol or diabetes, something that you needed help with. And certainly there was an intent for there to be a return on investment for employers. 
And as healthcare costs continued to rise and business leaders became, you know, more and more concerned about what to do about that, workplace wellness became an area in which perhaps they could uh, control some of their risks. And so then what happened is people started offering workplace wellness or vendors started offering workplace wellness in a way that was really controlling for people. So, and that's how it is primarily today. So your workplace might have a checklist of things that they'd like you to do for your health, like get your annual screenings, get a flu shot, make sure you go for your annual checkup with your physician. Um, if you're tobacco, if you don't use tobacco, you can get um, a reduced premium for those types of things. And so there's this checklist. And then for most companies, if you meet a certain number of things on that checklist, you can get money either off of your premium or put into a health savings account. But that's a major problem because then people end up, businesses are controlling the ideal version of somebody else's health um, to try to maintain cost. So an example of this would be, I have a friend and she has two young children and she works for a major university. And she said to me, you know, I get my flu shot and I get it for my kids every year. I do not in the midst of motherhood and career and life have time to then go tell my employer that I did the thing that I was supposed to do. I would rather leave the money on the table. And so employers are frustrated because they're paying a lot of money to vendors to collect this data and manage this data. Employees are frustrated because they don't want to have to prove that they're doing the things that they already inherently desire to do. Um, and it's just kind of a mess right now. So what do you that's think, where, oh, go was, ahead. What do you think then in that example, you know, how do we make it easier for the employee? Do we put it on an app or something like that? I'm sure you get those questions from employers or are we incentivizing the wrong things? Well, I think for an employer, in this in cases like that first of all it's not an employer's job to determine what a healthy life is like for somebody else if a flu shot is a healthy thing for people to get then why not make sure that people have the flexibility to go do that or why not bring flu shots on site so that people can get it quickly in the middle of their work day and have no incentive or disincentive to do that that would be the answer. So when we talk about then what is the employer's role and that in that example, in that story, that person needed really more flexibility to go take care of her family, more so than she needed to go prove it to earn the incentive back or the re reduced premium. Does and that make sense? Absolutely. And I think, you know, you're hitting on a very big pressure point right now in I think the US especially, but other you know developed nations as well, is that a lot of what we're doing isn't working for women and working moms specifically when it comes to workplace wellness. Um, and I think it then pushes women in these directions that necessarily are not the most ideal for them. And I think you have some really great ideas that you've mentioned in your writing and in what you're putting out into the world about how we're sending women chasing some ideal version of their own health and wellness. Can we unpack right. that a little more? And I'd love to hear your thoughts on how, what, what's that like for women right now and how can we help kind of remediate that or provide more truth than that? Right. Well, there's two threads here that I think are really important. So one is well-being through our work. So when we say workplace is a conduit of well-being, in the Wellness Council of America's definition of well-being, 
There are things, physical health is certainly an aspect of our health and well-being, but it's not the only thing. So some other things that show up in that definition are our growth, our achievement, and our sense of purpose or meaning. So for most people who work, we get those things through our workplace, through our career life. So rather than an employer being invested in tracking down whether or not you got a flu shot, why not why not ask that person, hey, in your time here, how can we invest more in your growth and your achievement and your sense of purpose? That would go so much further for somebody's well-being, right? So in doing that, you're focusing as a business on the things that you actually can control and support for an individual's well-being, and especially for women, right? We know that women don't get access to growth opportunities as often as men. And so- When you come out and and do that kind of well-being for your employees and you are in control of that, that's a supportive and healthy relationship between a business and employee. And then the other thread that I think that we're dealing with here is we have these, we talk a lot about well-being and self-care and, you know, our health and our weight, you know, especially as women. And we chase these ideals, some other version of ourself that when we have all of these things, when we exercise for an hour a day, like we're supposed to, that then, then we've got it. Then we're doing the thing that we were supposed to do and all of our dreams will come true, right? So what we need to do is shift our understanding of well-being. So for me, well-being is more about as a, I'm a mom of three and I run my own business. Well-being has so much more with how I design my life to meet my needs. And it's that simple right now. And maybe someday when I'm in a different position where, you know, my kids are older and, you know, I don't have to dress them, maybe that will look different or maybe it won't. So for me, well-being is designing a life that meets my needs and those needs are around my my health and my growth, my achievement, my sense of purpose in the world, my social connection, all of these things. So, you know, sometimes self-care does not look at all like going to get a pedicure and looks a lot like cleaning my house when I've made sure that my kids aren't home because that was a lot more um, meaningful to my own personal self-care to be able to get something done that needed to be done, but also do it in a way that gives me a little bit of peace and freedom, right? Or maybe it looks like this is one that happened last night. I folded the laundry with my spouse. So we chatted a little bit and got the work done faster and had some connection with each other through the work, right? So I think we often see these um, examples of self-care that happen outside of our normal life. So even in the workplace, we design workplace wellness in a way that's like, on one hand, here's your work, and we want you to do that, and we want you to do a really good job. And when you're done with your work, then we want you to go take care of your well-being. And my challenge to businesses and to people is how do you start achieving well-being through the things you're already doing. I'm I'm blown away honestly by that by that thing because it's so simple what you're saying. 
but yet so hard for us to actually do. Like it literally, I had a you know a jaw dropping moment while you're going over that because why are we polarizing it? Why are we telling people everything has to be an add on when it's already there in front of us? And I, th- I think that's so groundbreaking right now to just take it back to that level and and meet those points that you're saying meet the health the social connection the growth and the achievement and purpose not by adding what's necessarily added stress to hit you know to get the get out to get the pedicure to get all these things done that we are we hear that rhetoric of that's what we're supposed to be doing but rather to your point folding the laundry having those like what I'm sure was probably you know not a topical conversation with your husband but actual meaningful conversation why you achieved what needed to get done in the house yeah and I think you know the when you're like well what's the root of all of this I mean I think in the workplace we have these holdover mindsets from 50 years ago about productivity and as business leaders you're kind of given this mindset whether you're in executive leadership or um even middle you know middle management it's like I'm here to get the most out of these people so that we can be the best highest functioning company. But the reality is, is that productivity is a byproduct of well-being. So if you design work for productivity's sake and you just keep asking people to work at redline, which like when I say redline, I'm using this analogy of a car is, you know, you can work at redline, you can drive a car at redline all the time and eventually the engine will burn out. Like it's unrealistic to drive a car at redline all the time. That would be dumb. But yet we keep thinking about this for people this way. So the idea is always like, how can we get the most out of it? And what's really become detrimental in my opinion, and this is where I'm leading in my industry is to say, we have to stop making well-being, we have to stop selling it to businesses as a, a, a return on productivity, right? Because we don't, we already inherently desire to be healthy and well people. We don't have a desire to be productive for productive sake, right? So I have no internal motivation to go spend more time on a treadmill so that I can get more done at work. I have a desire to be on a treadmill for myself because it feels good to move my body. And that's my intrinsic motivation to do that, Are you, right? I love that example. I think that's very relevant to what we're seeing. Are you finding that it's hard to shift this kind of discussion to, especially with companies that, you know, not everything's going to give you necessarily your return on your investment of what you're doing. Some of it's going to have longer term implications to what's being done, but you, you plant the seeds to change the discourse of what's already occurring, you know, what are some tactical things that people can do pretty quickly to engage this with their employer or have these dialogues? I think that we have to start um, appealing to the person in leadership. So what's been really interesting for me is that I've tried to bring some of the more tactical approaches to businesses to say, you know, here's the way this person, my colleague over here is solving this problem for employers. And when I bring people in to speak to like an audience of HR people or learning and development uh, experts in a workplace, they just go, instead of, instead of thinking, oh, I need this for my workplace, they go, I need this for me. I need what that person's saying for me. 
And so I find it really fascinating. And so I think there's a part of me that that I'm as a business owner, I'm called to give this message and it's deeply meaningful to people. And just like you said, I had you had this own moment for yourself where you were like, oh, this changes. There's a shift in me when I hear this is yeah. for me to say I'm it's not whether we're ready to hear it or not. It's that we need to hear it. And when we do, it does something to us. And I also want to say that I think millennials and Gen Z, you know, millennials are over 50% of the workforce, even though we keep talking about these like group of unruly children that don't have children. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm a millennial and I have three kids. So, and the oldest is nine, you know, so millennials have children. Um, And we're taking over workplaces and millennials very much have seen generations before us invest and invest and invest and operate at redline and operate at redline and then hit a recession. Yeah. So we don't, I don't believe that we have the same trust. And I think we are really um, malnourished and looking for that nourishment. So I think that there is a desire to hear these messages and say, what, what are the things that we do as a workplace to change this conversation, to change kind of the dominant narrative of a productive workplace and, and stop, especially women who are already carrying the majority of the household burden now having to come to work and, and prove that everybody got their flu shot and everybody got their well visit and everybody got their right. Like we're just adding more to people's plates when they're already really close to burnout. I, yeah, I, I, I'm stumbling over my words almost because it's you're hitting on something. I think that we just, we're in this cycle right now of repetition, repetition. This is what we've always done. This is how it's always been done. And, but it is to your point, it is so much needed. Millennials are just not accepting what the status quo was, that you worked at one company for this many years and you did this many things and that's how you did it. We don't do that now. We are not having those discussions. And I think you are having a very interesting experience, if we could talk on that for just a moment, as a business owner yourself supporting your employees and having employees change their lives in front of you. Yeah. So um, my employee actually this Monday said we were having team meeting and um, we're all, you know, linked in through Zoom. And she said, you know, I need to talk to you for a minute if that's okay. And so the other employees got off and um, she said, I'm, I wish to tell you I'm pregnant again. And, you know, this is, she was my first employee in my business. She's like the first follower, the first person who's like, this thing you're doing, I'm all in. And I'm, and she took some risks herself to be a part of what we could build. And so, you know, for me, I'm all in on her, right? And this is her third child. And I know what it's like to have a third child and be a full-time working woman and to be balancing all of these things. And all I could do was celebrate with her. That's like, that's all there is. There's, there's a woman who's bringing new life into the world in a really healthy and loving family. Like first, can we just celebrate that for a minute? So if you, if you are in leadership and you're listening to this podcast, when a woman tells you that she's pregnant, just celebrate that for her for a moment because it's such a vulnerable thing to tell your employer that you're pregnant and and like all they need is for you to just go i am so excited for you because i mean for me that's true 
I hope it would be true for other people. But like the logistics can all be worked out later. Absolutely. Right? And I think if you have that celebration up front, then we don't see the back end when people are so terrified to return to work after baby or terrified to take on, you know, a changing role. Yeah. Because you enter the, the dialogue in fear from the beginning. So to your point, yes. celebrate it. Take it with a positive perspective. Embrace what's the change that's natural that in life for everyone and celebrate right. it. I love that. Right. So the other thing is, is, you know, I said to her, whatever you need, we'll make it work. When you, for maternity leave, when you return to work, I want you to be thinking about what you need and I want for you to tell me. And I did this, she had um, her second baby when she was employed with me as well. So I've only been in business for four and a half years and I have an employee who this will be her second maternity leave. And like, I don't care, I, you know, uh, she's a brilliant person offering brilliant gifts to my business and to my clients and she's having a baby. So. I just said, whatever you need, just like we did last time, we'll adjust and we'll work with you. And she said, and I have no desire to leave. I just want for you to know that. And I said, okay, and if you change your mind, that's okay too. And I, I think about that sometimes. I think a lot of employers would scoff and say, you know, it's just not that easy. We can't just go changing people's jobs and and I just want to say, I'm a almost solopreneur <laughs> and my margins are as thin as they get. Absolutely. And either you're a really great problem solver and a leader in work and in the workforce, or you're not. This is just about being a great problem solver. I have clients who need that employee we will figure out a way to meet their needs and hers. End of story. We're really good at problem solving. We'll and, make it work for everyone. And that's what companies are hiring you to do. They're, you know, I think we too often, to your point, give people unnecessary ammo. Oh, she's going out on leave. This whole thing's going to fall apart. And everyone gets so down and negative when that's not it. People always find a way, for the most part, when anyone's out on leave, whether it be maternity leave, personal leave, or that that they bond together, they solve the problem to your point, and work continues. And too often we allow employers or we push employees to the point where they leave and the cost of losing an employee, of having to retrain, re-engage, that time loss and effort is so much more than just making these accommodations in such a way that both parties feel like they're winning. And that's, I think, we've gotten away from or we're trying to rewrite that rhetoric right now that this can be more ascertainable for everyone that they're doing based on what we've seen before. It works, but you've got to enter it in a positive framework. Right. And, and be willing to be vulnerable and say some things are going to have to change. We're probably going to get some things wrong along the way, but we'll show up for that too. You know, anytime you're trying something new, you're going to get it wrong a little bit. One of Brene Brown's rules about vulnerability is like, don't be like, okay, I'll be okay if I fail a little bit. But no, you will fail a little bit and show up for that and figure it out. That's that's how it works. Um, and you know, I've had I've been on maternity leave with small teams in large companies, and my absence absolutely meant 
more for the people around me. But it, again, it was approached as this is a team effort and how are we gonna make sure that the work that you do in the next nine months kind of hits a, a peak or a point that you can step away and we've scaled back on certain fronts because we can't do as much because one person's gonna be out and we can't replace that position. So again, you know, I've, I've seen this from a multitude of angles and it absolutely can work, but it comes from everybody coming to the table and having safe and vulnerable conversations about how, how it all works, you know? And we've got to have those conversations more. I, I think that I would love to have you back for one day just to have that conversation of how do we have those safe and vulnerable conversations with now the added legality that we run into with almost everything that you see published or not. But I love, Maggie, I love so much what you're up to. I love what you're doing. I love these conversations that you're having. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners about what you're working on or what you would hope to see you know, this year as we enter such a new decade, a new turning point? Yeah, you know, um, I really, I want for workplaces, I want to grant permission for workplaces, for business leaders to stop tracking employees, how many steps they took, if they had a flu shot, whether or not they smoke, stop tracking all of that. Instead, and, and stop paying for somebody else to track it because that's really expensive. And instead, get curious about the ways in which your workplace is amplifying your employees' well-being from a place of growth and achievement um, to a sense of purpose and to their ability to be mindful when they're at work and be mindful and present when they're at home. Um, and that comes from a lot of listening to your employees and what they need. So. You know, I often say that um, one of the most important things we need for behavior change, which when employers are thinking about workplace wellness and, and their employees' well-being, sometimes there is a required or a change that an employee is responsible to, you know, if they're living or doing something that's not healthy. One of the primary things that we need for change is social connection. And this comes out of self-determination theory. And so often employers think, you know, well, we're a workplace and, you know, we can't show up for every person one-on-one. -on -one. We have to have policies and procedures. And that's true. But I really want for business leaders to understand that their employees are not in relationship with the business. They're in relationship with the people who run the business. So if as a leader, you have moved in a direction to manage cost by dictating what a healthy and meaningful life looks like for someone else, that's an abusive relationship. That's an unhealthy relationship. And that needs to be really wrestled with. Um, so, I know, I yeah. Think I, it's so powerful in that, that we need to think of it as the social connection and that it is working for the people of the business and not to your point, the business around you. I think you're touching on a lot of really great things that I hope we can have and continue to push with our our leaders listening on this or for you know people to go back to their employers and say, I really need you to be listening to what I need and not what you think 
I need yeah. or should be tracking. And I think even at that simplest level, if you're just having that in a staff meeting or, you know, around the water cooler, you can begin to kind of shift that as well. Because then people say, oh, I didn't think of it that way. It is odd that they're tracking my steps. They should. <laughs> it's really odd. <laughs> I read an article that was like, in the future workplace, you know, employers will be able to track how long your commute is and whether or not you were productive here or there or everywhere. And I just thought like, no, I think that I really, I really hope that we revolt against that. Yeah. That's so, that's so unhealthy and it's not helpful to anyone and it's not going to do any good for businesses. And if, if, you know, if business leaders are listening and they're thinking, you know, well, well, what does any of this have to do with me? I think to keep in mind that your employees are the first representatives of your brand. So if they're having a really miserable experience in your workplace, if they're burning out, then they are really unlikely to speak positively about your business or the work they do there anywhere. I was in line at the grocery store and I ran into somebody that I used to work with. And I said, I don't think that you remember me, but I just want to say that I really appreciate the work that we, you know, that when I saw you around, because you always had a smile on his face and he leaned over and he said, I do remember you. And then he said, he said, did you get out? And I said, I did get out. I don't work there anymore. And that's what you have to be worried about as an employer is, you know, when we're like, people are like, did you get out? You know? So I have this, um, I have this kind of vision that I offer to employers and people who lead this work. And so if you imagine kind of like a sea of cubicles and you see one person get up and go talk to someone else, you can see that they're talking, but you don't know what they're talking about. Maybe it's a sales deck that needs to be cleaned up. Maybe it's a spreadsheet that everybody uses to track work. You know, um, maybe it's the latest results of their biometric screening. Through the conversation, you can see that they're each holding a light and that that light gets brighter through the work that they're doing together and through the connection they have with one another. And so then if you pan out in your mind and you see this sea of cubicles and all of the people working together in and around each other, receiving emails from one another, and you can see that through the work that's happening, everybody's light is getting brighter. If you pan out even further outside of the workplace, there should be light pouring out of the windows. And that is your company brand. That is what people are amplifying of what's happening inside the walls of your workplace. And that is our well being. That light for each of us is whether or not we can amplify each other in the workplace and make it a meaningful place for us to show up every day. And I have this story that I tell. And it's a true story. There was a woman who was a stay-at-home mom for 20 years and finances were tight. So she needed to go back to work and she was working for a land and title agency. So her job was to review land and title agent or land and titles to property titles to make sure that there was nothing wrong with that title before it changed hands, like in the sale of property. So sure. this was a, a quota based work, you know, not particularly thrilling. And one day she was um, asked to come in 
to her manager's office and she was written up. So she was a stellar employee. She met her quota every day and she was written up for talking too much to people. Now her cubicle was the last one before you walked out the door to go to the bathroom. So everyone passed her and everybody would stop and like check in and chat for a minute and then go to the bathroom. So she was written up because she was not being as productive as she could be. So she kind of feistily pushed back and said, you know, am I, do you have a problem with my work? And they were like, no. And so she said, you know, I'm not going to sign the thing, which everybody in HR knows doesn't mean anything. But anyway. Good for her. Right. It was, yes, it's just a moment to say, like, uh, this is outside of my values. I'm not going to turn people away from stopping to say hello. So this person was my mom, is my mom. And the reason that money was tight is because my sister died unexpectedly in an accident. And so you have a woman who hasn't been in the workplace for 20 years. She's showing up. What's meaningful for her is to do a good job, to bring extra money home, and to make make it through life in one of the greatest losses that we can suffer as human beings. And her employer wrote her up because people were stopping to check in on her. And that, that is the essence of where we get this whole thing wrong. Yes. That, I hope you tell that story. One, thank you so much for sharing that with us. It's such, it it took my breath away. Like that is such a powerful story because I think it's given you a lot of where you are in in your journey and what you're Mm -hmm. sharing. But then to hear it through, you know, you're hearing the story of a woman who is you know, meeting all the expectations of her job, but something as asinine as talking, you know, on the way out or people checking on her, but then also the lens of, you know, that's your mom. And for you, that was a very defining moment, I think, both in her life and probably for you when you understood that story. But to employers, it's like, we make such terrible decisions so absentmindedly on something so trivial that can have such ripples. Yes, absolutely. I, th- I think that's great. You've left us with so many great points today, and I'm, I, you'll laugh if you're watching me. I, I write everything down. Um, but I will be putting on my office at work that productivity is a byproduct of well-being. So when we're all pushing that red line, trying to get the deadlines in, you know, what are we doing? And is that the right way to be driving? We can't drive on at that time all the way. Yeah. Thank you so much, Maggie, for coming on and for sharing we're excited to see you know where you keep going with these discussions. We're supporting you in all these discussions that you're having because they're so needed. And we are, millennials and Gen Xs are changing the workplace and where we're gonna be. And it's not gonna be the same, hopefully, of did you get out or did you not get out away from a company that's not supporting your self-care and well-being in the terms of how you're achieving growth and purpose and what you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your support. Yes, we love it. And Thank- having me on. We love what you're doing. Keep it up. And we can't wait to connect with you more. So have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Thanks. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.
Thanks for tuning in to the Mother Honestly podcast. If you want more of what we're talking about, head to motherhonestly.com for relevant content for mothers at work, in business, and those figuring out their next steps. Mother the Summit 2020 will be here before you know it. Save the date in your calendar for October 1st and 2nd at the Brooklyn Expo Center, New York, where 1,000 plus women will rise together in motherhood. I'm asking you for a favor. Please rate and review our podcast. Your reviews help us grow, and we love growing here at Mother Honesty. Bye for now. See you next week.